Welcome back to Cultivating Roots. On today's episode, we sat down with Jake Holloway from the town of Cary. Listen to the end for our surprise guest who helped us close out today's show. If you're new to the program, please follow us at the Twitter handle at Roots Podcast. We want to thank all of our listeners and keep those ideas rolling into our DMs. Or send an email to Robbie.Miller at cultivatingrootspodcast.org. Without further ado, let's jump right into the show with Jake. Well, I'm, I'm going to start, if you're okay with this, by telling Clark I'm a little disappointed. One, I never got a thank you note for the DVD. Hopefully it got there. Um, but if you can start by maybe humming a few bars from Kenny Rogers, love will turn us around. I mean, six pack is Oh, easy. yeah. Yeah, so, so y'all that don't know, so Jake and I learned at the last SDMA conference in West Palm uh, – that we're both fans of the movie uh, Six Pack, and we're showing our age. You guys, you, you other guys weren't y'all weren't even alive. I mean, I think it was it was like eighty two was when it came out. Is that right, Jake? That was a good that was a good year. Yeah, Kenny Rogers as a struggling NASCAR driver who uh, runs across these six orphans that they're like going to the state home or something, and so. But their their car whizzes like all these kids know how to work on cars and stuff. So they become his pit crew, and then he starts winning, and it makes his way all the way up to uh, the Grand National Series. Well, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to me, no timeout. <laughs> unbeknownst to me, Clark is at all of these filmings. Right, he and his dad are at all these tracks. They're watching the the old Wrangler car go around the track falling in love with it, right? If you look closely, I'm sure you can see Clark Cox in, in one of the stands in that movie. Only Martinsville, if they were at Martinsville, because that was my, my first race. So, so yeah, so uh, if you get a chance, look it up. R.I.P. Kenny Rogers. Yeah, his one of his one of his best acting jobs was in the uh, hilarious yet heartwarming story of Six Pack. So, yes. Yeah, so thank you, Jake. I'm sorry. I, so Jake had it on the DVD and just out of the blue sent it to me so I could watch it. So, hold on. The story goes a little bit deeper. You know, when, when your mom, when you get to be 40, 42 years old, your mom asks you, hey, what do you want for Christmas? You start getting creative with things. And um, I didn't know that, that uh, it would be as difficult to get a DVD of six packs sent to me for Christmas or given to me for Christmas. Uh, but like in the movie Friday, my, my mom's gave you that bike. I want my movie back, Clark. I got it. I got it. No, it's, 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 in a, it's in a safe place. Okay. okay. If we didn't have to pay rights, we could use uh, Love Will Turn You Around as our uh, intro and exit music. So our bumper music. I like it. New bumper music. Or we could just have Clark act out all the scenes and sing all the songs. Either way, we'll we'll figure out a way that we can get you your DVD back. Good. Good deal. You mentioned how nice of a, or how good of a performance Kenny had in it, but uh, Aaron Gray, if I'm not mistaken, coming off of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, it, well, it's, it's, it was Buck Rogers. I'm sorry. Buck Rogers is what she was in. And Silver Spoons as uh, Ricky Schroeder's uh dad's yeah i think they ended up getting married but yeah she was uh she was in it a young diane lane was also in it anthony michael hall i mean it's a star-studded cast really is really is and and to 
to introduce myself now that the podcast is is actually up and going. Uh, if I turn around backwards, y'all will notice that whoever came up with the logo for this uh, this podcast used the back of my head. You can see it. A little cul-de-sac, but... Uh... Welcome back to Cultivating Roots. Uh, we want to thank all of our listeners and for all the downloads from the past week and all of our interactions on Twitter. We may have unlocked an alien conspiracy at the polo grounds from 1905. We'll talk about that later. But today we're joined by Jake Holloway from the town of Cary. And Jake, I hear you have some great dad jokes. I got you primed for one now. Let's let's hear your best dad joke. I, I do. Um, and typically I, I like to give my kids credit for, for these jokes because they deliver them so much better than I do. But uh, my five-year-old likes to tell one. And it, and it goes, uh, why didn't the toilet paper cross the road? And that's when you're supposed to say, uh, I don't know why didn't it. And uh, why, why didn't the toilet paper cross the road? Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Because it got stuck in a crack. <laughs> but remember, that's coming out of a five-year-old at dinner parties, Christmas, Thanksgiving, what have you. So it really gets the, the crowd warmed up nice. Well, I have a four-year-old, so I have to practice on my dad jokes. and. Uh, we're we're learning that process now. Maybe that's a good one for him to start with. But uh, moving along, Jake, won't you tell us what you do at the town of Cary? Sure. Um, a little bit about myself. People claim that I'm long-winded, so uh, I'll try to keep it brief, whatever that means. But uh, that usually makes for a good podcast. <laughs> my uh, my name's Jake Holloway, and I like to separate that the best I can because I get a lot of mail uh, for Jake Holloway. Um, but that's not me. My name's Jake. Uh, I've been in the business since 1997. I'm usually good at math, but I think that's 20 some odd years math. About the same time you started. So what are we? 24 years in now? About that. Yeah. You, you got a you got a couple years on me, Jake, but not many. I'm currently at the town of Cary as an athletic field crew leader. I always mess that that title up. I'm not good with it, but that's okay. Uh, I've been here four years uh, at the town of Cary. I'm responsible for USA Baseball. Uh, it's also referred to as Thomas Brooks Park, 150-acre park, cloverleaf uh, baseball, set up much like a spring training facility. Uh, one stadium, three backfields, uh, but they're all set up at AAA standards, if not higher, and surrounded by an unbelievable crew of excellent workers, uh, thinkers, doers. But within the park, we also have a uh, another cloverleaf softball field uh, complex, four field complex, two artificial soccer's soccer fields. I'm sorry, basketball court, playground, what have you. But uh, what what's crazy is it's always full. Uh, and I before accepting this job and coming, um, I was talking with Jimmy Simpson, and uh, he. He failed to mention, or maybe I didn't ask, uh, how much play they actually have. These guys, we we put out a lot of baseball. Uh, we could have weekend tournaments where we're running four or five games a day on each field, turn and burn, let it rock and roll. But that doesn't change the level 
at which we maintain the fields. We're very aggressive. Something Jimmy also mentions to me quite often. Uh, I probably don't follow through on it enough, but fail aggressive. I'd rather you, you not be complacent and sit back on your heels. Go go after it and get it. So we're airifying once a month. We're verticutting nowadays, not right now, but in the middle of growing season, we can be verticutting once a week, once every two weeks. Uh, top dressing 25 to 50 tons on each field, getting after it pretty hard. So uh, not only do we play a lot, but we our cultural practices are, are way up there as well. So Jake, are y'all overseeded? We are not. We we have not put out any ryegrass, gosh, in the past 10 years out here at USA Baseball. Uh, we do paint. And, you know, Clark, earlier we were talking about some college baseball and, and whatnot. Practicing in January and February will, I mean, it'll tear you down to nothing. But we are painted. Uh, we are hip tough on three of our four baseball fields. We're 419 on the on the fourth. What we found, we we tried the stadium five years ago with Tiff Tough, and and you know, it was a, I think we had a learning curve how to maintain it and be as aggressive as you want. How quickly does it recover? What have you? What we've learned within an aggressive cultural setting, if we can baby it a little bit, and when I when I say that, instead of throwing the the book at it and making it ugly for a week or two while it recovers. What, what we found is if we stretch them out, uh, top dress one week, airify the next week, verticut the following week. Um, if we can stretch it out a little bit, we, we have very little recovery time. So we, we, we decided last year when we redid field two and four to go with Tiff Tough and have been very happy with it. Let me ask you this. Um... You mentioned that you're painting in the wintertime. So you've got college games. You've got some high school games, I'm assuming. Yes. January, January, February. What's what's the reception? What kind of reception are you, are you getting when a, when a college team comes and, and you've painted? Uh, you got any pushback from that or people surprised when they get there? Or have there been any issues with paint, uniforms, or anything like that? No, there's no, sir. Very, very little pushback. And quite honestly, I could see us a couple of years taking taking some time off of paint, letting them play on just dormant Bermuda grass. The the one aesthetically from from our standpoint, in my opinion, with painting, dyeing, what whatever it may be, now you're seeing left field, center field, and right field, uh, and trying to to mask. That is virtually impossible. You can get dark. You can put more out. You're going to get darker where you dark, and a little bit darker where you're worn out. So, I, I think we're. I think we may be on the cusp of trying to not paint for a year, maybe two. But no, the uniforms. Uh, it's not getting on on pants or, or messing up wise. Now, the the couple of secrets, and I, actually, Matt, I think. I think you and I discussed this five, six years ago, trying to catch it one before it goes into dormancy to fill up that cell wall a little bit. So it's not just painting on uh, a stalk of uh, a dry corn stalk, right? And it's just sucking it all the way to the core. 
if you can get your first round down while the cell wall is still a little bit full is, is beneficial. Um, but another little trick, and, and Matt, this is where I'm going to give you some credit, uh, is we're running a little bit of water prior to trying to trying to fill that leaf blade up just a little bit again. So you're not it's not wanting to soak all the way to the core. Yeah. Jake, are you guys seeing that even during times like in your off season months, I'll say when you are painting, are you guys still continuing with your, I mean, obviously not as much probably with the aerification and verticutting, continuing on that top dressing program to try to protect the crown of those plants through those, you know, when you're not getting recovery and growth, just doing all you can from a protection standpoint on those? No. Uh, when we get done aerifying, call it September, we may have even gotten into October. And I, I blame that on on uh, global warming and all the hairspray that Clark used when he was in high school messing up the, the world. But not me, maybe my girlfriends. Okay, that kid. But the, the last top dressing usually that we do is associated with aerification. We, we don't put much out late or early. Um, we, as wet as we've been, I, I think last time I looked, we were at 15 inches for between January and February, which is ridiculous. Our backfields were getting a little mushy, I guess would be a good way to describe it. And two weeks ago, we were threatening to go ahead and airify and top dress just to try to firm them up a little bit and, and, and get them a little bit tighter. Uh, but we backed off it's that common knee-jerk reaction. Hey, 60s and 70s are coming. Inevitably, it's the third week in March when it actually happens. But, you know, it, was, it would have been a little knee-jerk now looking back to go a couple of weeks ago and, and do it. But I, just to protect the crown, Matt, I can see the benefits in it. We don't. But I, 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 don't, I don't know if I want to paint just sand up top, right? You know, the to fill it up and just have a little bit up top leaf blade wise. I don't know if I want to dirty it up that much. I would rather the, the leaf blade grab it. Now, we're also very fortunate that once we come out of our college season, we do host the Division II National Championship. And we basically shut down for the month of, I think this year we might have three weeks. What that does is it, it allows us to to do our sod projects. We we know we're going to get torn up. It's inevitable. But the other thing we found is with this tiff tough, our our uh, wear tolerance is amazing. I don't think we've done more than 200 square feet, 500 at tops on the stadium during that May shutdown in preparation for D2. So it's being in Greensboro and and overseeding for as many years as, as I did. It was different to come to uh, USA Baseball and, and not oversee. But man, it, it's been eye-opening how well it comes out in the spring, how quickly the Bermuda grass jumps up and gets going. So I'm a, a huge proponent of it now. Do you paint, Matt? Yeah, we do. Um, in replace of overseeding or do you do both? No, uh, we, we overseed. We kind of the setting that we're in, um, it is, I've tried to push the envelope with, with not, you know, getting them on board with not overseeding, but just with where we are in the city. And, and, um, right. That's why in Greensboro, I mean, you, it, it's, it's a visual. 
yeah, yeah. You let people look it down on you all year long. So there's not an opportunity now. Yeah. Unlike UNCG down the road from me, I mean, he their numbers were he was going twenty pounds per thousand. No, I mean we're we're typically Robbie. We're typically running anywhere between four and five pounds of of rye, but we supplement that with colorants. And and you know it's tough to try to time all that because you know for people who are familiar with what we've done the past couple of years with some of our Christmas lights, and uh, we actually had a Christmas light uh, event this off season through COVID. You know, you have to time those prior to those lights going out, which they're out for six weeks um, through through late November, December, even into early January. And so we typically try to time, get a bank of, of coloring out prior to, and then once they come up as weather allows, then we get back out on it at, at light rates. But I, I'm one of those guys that typically I run a colorant a small, small amount of colorant with every foliar application that we do throughout the year. So that's, that's just because you're not good with the spray rig. I understand. I, I, I guess. I, yeah. Hey, if you can't beat them, pull them. I mean, it's, that's how we all make a living. So fake it until you make it. Yeah. I don't think they oversee it in Durham, do they? And I guess my question with that would be with the new rules, whatever you want to call them, that Major League Baseball brought down, will that change? any of the painting versus overseeding or is that not part of that? I don't know. I mean, it, it, to my knowledge, it hasn't, it hasn't been outlined in anything that I've, that I've come across as to a protocol for that per se. But, you know, when I was in Maryland with, with Bowie for all those years, we did that fuel conversion. That was 2010. I think we did, we, we put Patriot in. And from the time that that field went in to the time that I left, I didn't oversee in Maryland. And um, when I got to Charlotte, I was a big proponent of not overseas. But the more that I, you know, the longer I've been here, I'm actually, I've kind of switched back the other way where I think that there is some benefit in doing a light overseeding if you can, uh, just as an added layer of protection for, for the Bermuda. Because, you know, as we know here in this area, I mean, winters can be, you can be super mild or you can get hit with a shot of super cold at dormancy break and we have to battle the ice and you know all that sort of stuff so i've probably turned back the other way where i'm actually more of a proponent of if you can manage the transition just going out with a with a light overseed back to your thrusting uh, point to protect the crown you can get that out of that that overseeding one two with the with as aggressive as we have turned into the past five, six, seven years, you almost don't have to spray out your ryegrass because we're, we're airifying so often and tearing it up so often that that, that plant is, is leaving the field, which it's a, there's a fine line, uh, but I really do. I was seeing how much early play that we have out here. It's not, we're not getting beat as hard as you would anticipate, especially with the amount of traffic we have. Yeah, that, that, you bring up a point there, Jake. I, and I, I wanted to ask you this. You kind of alluded to your time that you spent in Greensburg. For everybody out there, Jake will talk about this, but he spent a considerable amount of time in, in Greensboro with a minor league baseball team there. But, you know, you talked about the how aggressive you guys are with, with cultural practices and carrying 
I would classify myself in that same boat, but speak a little bit to the evolution of that. And, and, you know, cause you and I, like we said, we we've been in this baseball game for a long time. And when we got into it, it was the airify two, three times a year, top dress when you airify, if you can get out with a verticutter, get out with a verticutter. But, you know, I look back, I mean, in season 2019, we did 12 full field airifications here in Charlotte. Talk about how that's changed and the kind of the old school way of doing things, so to speak, versus the benefits that we're seeing out of the, I, I can't remember how you said it, but the more aggressive, you know, fail aggressive, so to speak, and, sure. and work that in, spread those practices out, you know? So I'll, I'll start, you know, the field adage, teaching an old dog new tricks. I don't remember what year it was, but I, I was head, so that would have been... 99-2000, John Henry Moss, who was our lead president, this is kind of off topic, but it, it'll come full circle. I'm, I'm usually good at, at coming full circle, but John Henry Moss, our lead president, asked me to put on a seminar for all the groundskeepers in the South Atlantic League. So, absolutely. And there was a new young guy, uh, I'll say his name later, uh, but I hope he gets wind of this because I didn't get a chance to to talk to him when we were in, uh, I think it was San Diego for an STMA conference. Young guy from, from Lake County, Ohio, you know, long hair, full of himself, just a, a neat guy. But we were standing at second base and it was John Packer and I. So John's in Zebulon. I was in Greensboro. John was there before, was in Greensboro before I got there. Uh, and here comes this young kid, right? And I say, young kid, he, he may be two or three years younger than us. And, um, hey, we're building this new field. We're going to go with the sand base. We're, we're going to model our, our Ohio field over after a spring training in Florida sites. And come on, dude. No, this is dirt, right? This came out of a grave. This is, this is clay. And um, it, it got kind of heated. His name's Greg Elliott, and I think he's, he's really turned the – groundskeeping world on his ear over the past 10 or 15 years uh, out there in San Francisco. But the old dog, new trick aspect of it, where change was not a thing we, we did back in the day. It, I don't even think we were willing to listen to it. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy and proud that that has changed. Not that Greg changed my mind with dirt back there in the, in the late nineties. But when I think back to that conversation, it was kind of arrogant of us to not listen to some of the new voices that were out there. And, and once again, five, eight, not quite 10 years ago, there was that real big push of, of aggressive. Let's go. Let's, let's push. Let, let's see what the limits of this turf grass be. Let's, let's push it to the point of failing. Pete Ash, another name at UNCG. I can remember when he moved down from Detroit or wherever he came from and, and he, he looked me up and, and came on field and, and said, look, how I, I'm a bluegrass guy. How do I grow this Bermuda grass? I said, well, quite honestly, the more you mistreat it, the better it's going to respond for you. So tear it up, you know, you, you put, push the envelope. Uh, and I, I think we have found 12, 12 is a lot, right? 12 is a lot of verifications in a year. But if your play can dictate it and you can recover, uh, to throw the question back at you, Matt, 
are you recovering in less than three days after a, a big airification? It's about that, but it's not, it's not just the airification. It's, it's everything that you do that leads up to that. It, it, it goes back to your fertility program. It goes back to your, your soil program. It goes back to all these things, and it goes back to timing. Last year, without playing baseball, we were able to pull cores eight times, which we, there, there was a lot that went into that and reasoning for that. You know, we were scheduled to do a full field renovation at the end of what would have been our 2020 season. And then COVID happened. And we knew pretty early on that as a result of not playing, as a result of decrease in revenues and projections moving forward, that that nugget wasn't on the table. And so, you know, we were able to get really aggressive trying to promote the longevity of the field. But in a typical year, we, you know, we may pull course three or four times. But it's what we're doing in those other seven, eight airifications just to get some some oxygen exchange, just to, you know, to affect that profile to help balance things out. And I mean, it's changed. It's changed dramatically. Um, I mean, I'd be really interested to hear what what Clark's doing down in at South Carolina, because he's in a whole different mode. Right. I mean, his baseball field is I mean, the bulk of his play is in the spring. He's got to oversee at heavy rates. How does he, how, how is he able to, Clark, how are you able to fit in these maintenance practices during your season? Or do you really, I mean, are cultural practices that important to you during that time? And when your season ends, do you go hit it hard, um, getting ready for your fall? In normal times, I, I, I don't know that you could say we, our season ever ends. We just roll from one kind of baseball into another. Uh, but obviously we're college and that's, uh, our priority is if having things looking good and in the best condition for our team and college baseball season, you know, begins, they start practicing, practicing in quotes, basically in, in January. And that season runs right on through, you hope, until mid-January. I mean, I said January. We start in January. We hope the season ends in mid-June. If, you, if you're playing in a super regional, you hope you're hosting a super regional, you're, you're in the middle of June. so. When I got here and Coach Ray Tanner was was our baseball coach at the time, who's now our athletic director, I asked him the question, okay, Coach, what? when do you want it to look good? Because we also have summer ball. We have AAU games. We have camps. We have things that happen in the summertime as well. And Coach said, I want it to look good for my season. And I don't really care about what it looks like for, you know, during July. Uh, and so, okay, we can do that. So. We oversee pretty heavily. We get uh, as aggressive as, and, and I say that it's I, to me it's it's aggressive. But I hear what some other people do. No, it's not. We're probably going anywhere from fifteen to twenty pounds per thousand uh, of ryegrass in the fall. We try to catch a, a catch a, a break during the middle of fall ball because uh, they do have a fall practice time uh, in the fall. So we kind of have to squeeze it in. Uh, on an off weekend and do our best to get it up. But yeah, we go out at about 20 pounds per thousand. And once we get into this time of year where the ryegrass, we, I think we're pretty aggressive with uh, airification. You know, we'll airify, we airified. And, and of course the schedule dictates everything. Uh, if we get a break, a two week break, or even a one week break where we feel like we can get an airification in without impacting play whether that be games or practice we we will punch a core 
Uh, we'll, we'll pull a core. We'll sweep it. We'll top dress. And we may do that. You know, we'll, we'll try to do that at, at least once a month from March, April, May. As we get into, uh, we get warmed up a little bit. I'm a little bit hesitant to punch holes because I want to hold that ryegrass. Uh, so to answer your question, as far as that goes, we manage the ryegrass. That that's that's my, our goal. It's not. It doesn't mean that we forget yep. about the Bermuda and we just say the heck with the Bermuda. We do do some things to to try to keep that Bermuda healthy yeah. and hopefully. Uh, when it's time for the Bermuda, it can come on and do its thing. But we're, we we want to keep that ryegrass alive and looking good through June. So we're so we're you know we don't really want to go punch holes when it's ninety degrees. That's right. It's 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 interesting, right? Because you got Jake who's in a non-overseed situation. Me, where I'm kind of in between, and then you. I mean, and I feel your pain too because you know trying to grow ryegrass into into June in Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, I know the year that I started in Charlotte, we hosted the 2016 AAA All-Star Game. And I walk on a field that I've never been on, didn't have any history of what had been done in the in the previous years to it. Didn't even know what my overseed rate on the field was, but I knew that, you know, we, we had a lot of ryegrass. I didn't know what my Bermuda stand looked like. And that was one of the hardest years of my life, is just trying to – you know, you've got the biggest event, one of the biggest events, if not the biggest that the ballpark's hosted in its, you know, three years of existence and just trying to hang on and hang on and hang on to ryegrass until middle of June because you feel like, well, that's safe. If I can keep it hanging on, then, and um, that would be, you know, that was the one year that we that we actually did have to back off as we got into, as we got into, you know, May and early June. I, I can remember an, an unbelievable conversation. It didn't take very long. And Clark, I think it was the first time you and I met talking with Butter. We were still at the Caravel. The Southeast Regional Conference was was still at the Caravel. And I was talking to Butter about, you know, ryegrass and whatnot. He said, hey, talk to Clark. Just turn around and talk to him. So I finally did, right? I got I got an opportunity to, to get in front of you. And I said, hey, do you have a minute? Yeah, Jake, what's up? I said, well, Butter said something about you taking your height of cut. Normally you play it in the back then. It was probably three quarters, seven eighths, maybe even an inch, right? And Jake, when the team hits the road, I go as low as I can to get as much sunshine, life, weather down in that canopy as I can to help push and promote uh, Bermuda. So, I mean, there's there are plenty of, of ways to skin the cat. Uh, and I actually, I implemented that. And, and not only did we come down from wherever we were playing on three quarters, we started playing on a half inch. And, you know, you, you're always going to get that. It's too fast. It's too slick. It's too that All of the, what do you know that? Uh, the same thing it was, it's just thicker now. You know, whatever untruths we have to tell sometimes. But that was an unbelievable small nugget that was thrown my way that really changed how I approached ryegrass in Bermuda. And that's one of those things that, you know, you're doing it. We verified this week. We're doing that obviously to relieve compaction and it gets some, some, some exchange of gas with our ryegrass, which is what we're looking at right now. But I also think as we move forward and we are, especially when we start pulling cores, we didn't pull a core this week. We just, 
did a solid time. But as you start pulling cores, I think it it helps both. I think you're making room for that Bermuda. You're letting more light down into that canopy. You're removing some of that ryegrass. So I, I think it's a twofold kind of thing. Um, but but yeah, it, it's it's just the, you know you manage. You, we don't always manage by the book. You manage in this business a lot of times to your situation and to your schedule and to what uh, you know. When it's showtime, you got to be on. And you can't always be worried about what's the right thing agronomically. Uh, I think that's what separates the, the sports turf manager from maybe some other parts of turf of the turf grass industry is sometimes we don't, it's twofold. Sometimes we don't have the luxury or the curse of uh, having time to look at the big picture. We have to manage for the now and what's happening right now or what's going to happen in two weeks. And, you know, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead whatever happens you know if i pay for that i I may do something that i know on the back end six months from now i may have to pay for but i'll pay for it then i gotta look good next week and i think that goes back to the failing aggressive kind of approach it i I don't want that to have a a negative connotation to it because um you know how many times you know not that I'm knocking anybody, but I've never won a, a big national SDMA world award. I've, I've won plenty of South Atlantic League stuff, but then you read that article. Okay, okay I, I, they're asking me to write down what my fertility program is. Well, there's not enough room in the magazine because January I do this, February I do this. That's I don't know if that has ever been the true case, um, and I think there's a lot of People out there, whether it's high school, college, what what have you, that take care of their own park, that that look at some of that direction, almost treat it as scripture, and it and it's not. There's this is such a, a fluid environment. Uh, you you got to think. There's probably well, all of the sciences are are uh, relatable to what we do for a living, from biology, chemistry, physics. You can get into psychology, agronomy, all. All of them are rolled into one one basket, and uh, when when you can look at it and approach it that way, I think it it opens your eyes to there's not a set way to do anything. You can you can do a base program. I, I I'm not knocking that, but if you're in tune with with what you're working on, uh, and we we all spend plenty of time on it, right? Whether it's the, the monotony of getting on a mower and, and spending an hour and a half mowing your field, or sometimes if you got a big enough mower, a half hour. But if you're not riding that mower and looking and thinking, and how is this reacting? I'm missing a little bit here. I think when, when we as groundskeepers really become good at what we do is when the wheels are always turning. I could give it a little tweak right there. It's my my top growth is is great, but it just looks a little peaky. I need a, a little something. That's when what we do for a living to me becomes fun because it is all the science is wrapped in the, in the one. It's very interesting you say that. There is a standard, I think, uh, probably is the best way to say it. And if anybody's a minor league baseball sports turf manager out there, they know that we all had to we all had to put our our agronomic program to paper as part of some changes uh, that are going on. 
And I got to tell you, it was, it was a, it was, it, it was a process that made me think a little bit, but you know, it was a template that was provided to us. What's your fertility program? What are your cultural practices broken down month, to month, to month. And on the surface, it all looks well and good, but I say, you know, you, you always have to have a plan to be able to deviate from the plan. And the reality is, is that what we do for a living is not as simple as here's my plan. It's going in a spreadsheet. It's, it's so much of it is based on a core, a core understanding of the big picture, but being able to, just because you put in a piece of paper that you verify once a month, the paper doesn't know that that's the right thing for you to do. You have to be able to visualize. It's a, it's a game of feel a lot of times and it's based on your schedule. And do you think that being able to put those ideas on paper um, will help more facilities be able to do more? It seems like there's always this struggle between, you know, maybe a team or facility that has a little bit more money that's given to them. Maybe the, the organization has the money. Do you think those standards will help? the grounds team get more funds to do the things that they want. It's interesting. You went that way, Robbie, because I, I went another direction. So Matt, answer that one. And then I want to, I want to chime in a little bit. And I think that's the purpose, right? Is to, it's to streamline things as much as we possibly can. And the, the reality is, is that if there's something that shows that, Hey, these places that have been successful, here's, here's the inputs that they're putting in place. Here's the resources that are going into it. Here's the methodology. But I think the thing that, that, that we need to be careful of is we don't say, oh, well, you know, this guy here is doing this. Therefore, we should take that transplant it into a place that we may not have been as successful. Because chances are that if we take that information that sports turf manager A is doing, and we try to implement the exact same thing to sports turf manager B, your results are not going to be what you think they are. And that was to my point, Matt. If the sharing of information betters everybody, and, and Robbie, that's what I'm gathering out of, out of your portion of the question, but the way I interpret it is the whole everybody gets a trophy mentality that, that our world is in right now you, you can't say and in greensboro and, and charlotte uh, it's 70 miles apart from each other my program has got to be completely different than yours or or here in in Cary. I, I get it and i like robbie i like your interpretation of it where it's helping those that are less fortunate uh, tell the story that hey, you need more to to get to this level. But there's there's no way you can uh, expect groundskeeper B to have the same product if he's doing the same thing as groundskeeper A. Uh, there's there's way too much feel in what we do as a as an industry to to make it carbon copy. You throw a Xerox and hey, you follow this, it's going to be the same. It's, what is the demographic in minor league baseball as far as the head groundskeeper and their educational or work experience background? Is it mostly guys that are experienced or are there a good mix of younger people who may be less experienced? To answer your question, I think that there's a lot of good that's coming out of this and that 
some of the new things are really pushing for qualified sports turf managers at the minor league level in terms of. But you have to have the lower end that you, and that's, it's a good tie into what I'm trying to create here. Yeah. It's going to take it, it, it. Listen, it's going to take a cycle because we all know what's going on um, in the, in the industry in general, not specific to any of us, but with numbers of, of people who want to get into this for a career, but there are parameters being put in place to ensure that sports turf managers specifically at the minor league level have some type of formal educational training. And I think that's a great thing. I think that that's something that we've been pushing for for a long time. Not to say that there's not many qualified sports turf managers who, who may not have a, a degree hanging on the wall. But there, there are programs in place to get certifications and to do, do that sort of stuff. There's experience-based parameters where you basically have, are able to show that you are able to substitute experience for formal education. And, but it's, it's a cycle, right? It's going to take time for that to really work itself out and get into the new. You know, I tell people it's going to be four years before four or five years. And a lot of that has to do with the universities and the colleges and showing that uh, minor league baseball in particular is a um, is a viable career option and getting students involved and and so forth and so on. So, well, in in Nick's talk and in the podcast with Nick McKenna, uh, one of the things that I, I heard that that really jumped out at me, and I don't know why we've never thought about this, and I don't know whose idea it was, but it's not just the community college and university level. Why aren't we as stewards of what we are passionate about and what we love. Why aren't we going into a sixth, seventh, eighth grade biology class? Why are these kids getting into high school and and discussing some of the things we do? And we did actually did that this year. We didn't talk about it in the podcast with Nick, but we did um, with uh, the Sports Surf Managers Association's Learning Initiatives Committee this year. We met with a middle school class. And we talked about what we do. Uh, we had a wide range of facilities. We had parks and recs. We had an independent TK through 12 school. We had a minor league baseball facility. And I believe we had a, a college facility. And we spoke uh, for about an hour, hour and a half with the middle school class. And it really opened their eyes to our industry and that there's someone outside of their classroom maintaining a field or a landscape area. Yeah, we might be fighting for people to know who and how and what we are and do. Um, but there's there's enough press out there right now that uh, farmers and sports fields are ruining creeks because runoff. And, but there, there are so many more things that we do as stewards of the land that people don't understand. You know, I, I joke every once in a while that, oh, you're a groundskeeper. No, I, I'm, I'm in the, the business of producing oxygen. Right, you can you can put whatever spin you want on it, but you know, without playing fields with uh, asphalt or artificial fields or what have you, uh, as opposed to a, a viable living organism, I mean, think think of of the pollution that that we are filtering. You know, it, it's there. There's such a, a different approach, and I think that goes back to what I said earlier with teaching old dogs new tricks. We, we are stewards. We, we 
we do more benefit than we do harm. How how do we uh, how, what a better way to get that information out there than talk to middle school and high school, junior high, what have you? I I can remember uh, she was she was a Tampa Bay swashbuckler, but my eighth grade science teachers, uh, I think it was life science or I can't remember the name of it. She was up in front of the class and. We may have been going through a drought in, in Tampa, Florida, and um, so I'm going to ask you all a question. Okay, what do you got? When you're brushing the te- your teeth in the morning, do you let the water run the whole time you're brushing your teeth, or do you turn the water off? It, how many years has that been? 30-some-odd years. I still remember that question, and to the point that when I brush my teeth in the morning, I turn the water off. And it, it's a, It's amazing how... Uh, how many people are out there that were not getting, I keep saying nuggets, but getting those little nuggets of information to that may spark a little thought or a direction, or that was kind of interesting what that such and such said at, at the class today, go home, talk to mom and dad about it. No, you know, the farmers really aren't ruining the creeks. It, it can be some other things. So, yeah. yeah, I'd be interested to see how social media um, with today's generation helps our industry out because you can get on Twitter and you follow the right people. You're going to see all kind of amazing facilities and amazing different operations that they do out there. I really would like to see how Twitter or whatever comes to what TikTok, whatever comes next, you know, how that influences some of the younger, the younger generation. Watch it with the TikTok Cause I, I've got a story about that one. I mean, I, I need to apologize to my daughter, Stella. Um, last weekend, she said, Dad, come over here and, and do this TikTok with me. Uh, I mean, it's it's harmless. Let's let's go out here and try it out. So she taught me to dance, and I, I got after it. And, and you all may not know this, but I have the voice of an angel, and I can, I can dance like Fred Astaire. I just don't see it very often. So I, I knock out my moves. But inadvertently, didn't mean to. And this is where I got upset. She posted the, the Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is, because I'm not good at that stuff and don't understand it. Shame on me. Um, but I explained to her, hey, I've worked, I've worked long and hard to not be on the Facebook and all these different social media platforms. Now, next time I go to work, hey, look, there's the fat dad dancing on TikTok. But once again, shame on, shame on me. One for overreacting to my daughter. So Stella, I apologize again. Uh, but two, that is such a powerful tool. And, and we work long and hard figuring out which tools work best for us and then take advantage of those tools. Uh, I have an analogy where there's two horses in the barn, right? You got one that's not really worth a hoot and the other one that's going to do anything I ask it to do. Well, I'm never going to go to the left. I'm always going to go to the right and pick the one that's going to, to work best for me. Uh, sometimes that's unfair, but that's that's the, the nature of the beast. So to use the tool of social media right now, Robbie, I once again, I, I need to learn, much like the Greg Elliott story, I need to learn to, to do that as well. But there is such a fear in, in my mind and in my soul that what i say or do i don't edit it internally and and once i start editing something it turns into zero because i'm worried about 
this person or how that may affect the other. That, that scares the Jesus out of me to the point that it may keep me out of social interactions on media. But that's me. I mean, I don't post a lot of things, but I do kind of lurk in the background. And But I, I think it's great to see all the different things people do and how everyone's personality kind of comes through a little bit, especially with the people that are really active. I mean, Casey Carrick posts all these beautiful pictures on Twitter on a regular basis of his fields. And it makes me a little jealous at times, but that's the other downside of social media. You get to see everybody's you know best picture every day, but. I think it could be a great tool for to get some of the younger guys or younger generation involved and see that, you know, what we do is enjoyable, is rewarding, you know, is fun most of the time. I think we use it as a great tool within our industry. How do we get people outside of our industry to follow what goes into it, the importance of it? It's interesting because my daughter, who turns nine today, she's a soccer player and really proud of her and 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 the way she plays but even at her age at nine years old she she unders she sees the frustration of you know before i left the house this morning it's monday morning and she looks at a forecast and she sees the frustration of i don't think i'm going to get to practice on thursday because she knows where she practices and at nine years old she knows what the forecast is and the fields aren't going to be ready. They're going to be closed. And if we played at this place, we would be able to practice. And, you know, it's frustrating. I mean, I'm getting to see it for the first time because it's affecting somebody in my house. She's been to night's games and she's seen, you know, how fields can perform. And you get comments like, well, even if it rains, why can you play on your field? And I don't get to play on mine. And it's kind of loaded. So it's getting the word out and, and, Resources, qualification, all those things come into play. So one field at a time. I want to move this to something else here, Jake, that we talked about last Friday. I don't want to offend you the way I bring this up, so I hope this comes out correctly. But I like, you know, the the theme that you kind of started out with with fail aggressive. I think that's a, a really great try your best. It may work out. It may not, but you tried something maybe new, maybe not new, but it, you know, you tried it. So tell us a little bit about your situation. Okay. The debacle. You can, you can call it what it was. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your situation in, in Greensboro and how you were able to use people in the industry to help work you through that. Give us a, you know, the whole background of it. And uh, if, if you've got thin skin, uh, one, you don't need to be in this conversation. Two, you don't need to be in this industry. So uh, years are bad for me. I can't recall months and days and years and all that good stuff. But I do know, I think this was 17, June, July of 17. And um, we were, it was, it was before the All-Star break, I believe. They've been close. You, that typical break is when you throw your uh, sod out and get everything back up and going. So I'm sitting down with, with Donald Moore, our, our president and general manager in Greensboro. I said, hey, look, I, I need to sod around the mound. I need to do at least the back of the plate. I got positions. You know, it's just, it's kind of meh. 
He said, all right, we'll you know, put a number on it. And I, I said, but, but the, the conversation needs to go further. He said, if I'm going to put those areas at risk and uh, everything else is just kind of, yeah, what if I did the whole infield? And he said, well, that's now, now that's aggressive. I said, well, I, I get it. But once again, if I'm, if I'm going to trust the fact that I can put athletes on this spot around the mound, what's the difference? Right. If it's time, we need to do it. Can I have your blessing? And he said, well, think about it overnight, put a little bit more time and effort into it and, and figure it out. Cause I think our window was seven days and I'm not afraid. I actually enjoy challenges that people put on me or say you can't do. So event gets done a Sunday night. And once again, I could be making that up by eight o'clock. We've got the sod cutter out by 11, 12 o'clock. The Bobcats scooping all the infield graphs out, right? We've, we've pulled the trigger and we're going forward with it. Uh, I've got sod lined up. I got, and that's the logistical part of it is what I think is the, the most fun. Uh, the if this, then that. I've got Miramichi coming for pre plant. You know, I want to mix a little bit of that. And a lot, lot of fun things were going into it. Ran into a little bit of problem at first base of the sprinkler head. Had to get a little creative in there. All that being said. So it shows up, we're prepped, we're ready. Uh, I had front office staff come and help. Everything's in great shape, right? Lay sod, do it. It's all in-house, right? That's another thing that I, I enjoy and take a lot of pride in is, well, you don't know how to do that. Well, yeah. I might not be able to do brain surgery, but uh, just about anything else, I'm, I'm close. Heart surgery might be pushing it too. But anyway, uh, we lay sod, uh, roll it, top dress it, run the water, right? Two, three days later, we've got our uh, golf tournament with players and, and everybody. That was that was kind of my my drop dead date, right? Those three days into it. And I my entire career, I I can throw roots on thin cut sod in three to four days. That's just I, I was going off of history in that regard and I, I trusted it and I was a little arrogant in the fact. When I say a little, I mean a lot. Uh, I can do this. It's going to happen. I know it is. I have to trust the process and go. Where I ran into trouble was getting to be a day or two out, and it's still not dropping root. So it got got kind of nervous at that point. Uh, so the team's back in town uh, the day prior. It's been the last day of the All Star break. They're going to practice that first night before they play the next day to start the second half of the season and there's no roots um when i say no roots there's there's nothing pick it up flap it like a, a bad toupee uh and and the the ridicule the i can't believe you even thought that you'd put a protein let alone your child out on that field that that one that one stung so the managers, you know, hitting ground balls. I said, no, hit them harder. He said, I don't want to mess your, your turf up. This is, he said, I've, I've been in this whole process with you and I've, I've agreed with you and, you know, we're in this together, but I, I can't play a game on this. I said, hit, hit that fungo 
harder, tear it up. I want to see something come up. And we, we couldn't, but once again, footing, no shot. And that's when my arrogance kind of got thrown out the window. And now, now it's a business decision. We're, we're on the brink of, of losing a gate. We're, you know, and that, that's, a, that's when it really hits home. When you have to stand on the warning track next to your, your boss, once again, Donald, the absolute trooper in it, it wasn't fun. It was a very difficult conversation, but he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I, he's not going to put his team on the field. Uh, so first, trying to find where you can play a minor league game is not an easy thing to do. Thankfully, we have a good relationship with uh, Burlington at the time, and they said, well, we're, we're not quite open. And that turned into, we'll send you our staff, we'll help you get open, help you get operational. So the majority of our front office went over to Burlington. And remember this, there's that internal portion of having a, a failure this big that my shoulders are just getting lower and lower and lower. But it's not the time. I, I still have to react. I still have to, we have to react. We have to fix this problem that I have created. Um, so anyway, we get Burlington ready. Uh, first phone call was to, to Chad Price. Uh, he didn't answer. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have enough time to leave a voicemail or let it ring that long. So I texted him, I need you now. Uh, and he called me right back. So that's that's point one of how amazing our industry and how uh, strong our relationships are. He called me right back. He said, what's up? I said, I, I need a new one. I didn't work. And it wasn't about how or why it didn't work. It was about, okay, I've got a crew here, a crew there. They've got a... They've got some downtime. Can we be on you tomorrow? So this is where the time frame was kind of askew. We played the game on that, let's just call it a Tuesday in Burlington. Chad and his crews got to us late Tuesday, maybe early Wednesday. We had to pull the trigger and, and go aside on plastic. By lunch or so that day, Saad was done, and we played, if I'm not mistaken, we played that night. Like I said, it was all kind of a blur. But to back up a little bit, the phone calls and the uh, support that were around me, after I got Chad lined up, right, that's the most important part, I, I have to get moved and put back in. Now I need bodies, and when I need bodies, more importantly, I needed thought and 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 approach. Hey, you're you're missing this. You need clay. So I called Matt. Or actually, I called Butter first. Sorry, Matt. Um, he said, "Man, I'm, I'm in. Just just tell me when and where." I said, "Right now is good." So uh, Butter, if I'm not mistaken, came in pretty quickly. Uh, Matt, you were number two. He said, "Jake, I'd be there in a minute. I can't, and it and it pains me to not be there." So Matt was was kind of kind of the inspirational aspect of it, um, as well as the think about the next process. You're you're in it so deep and so hard that it's it gets muddy, and you you forget some of the small things. One of them being the transition from 
from Grass Edge. You know, how perfect is uh, is a Coro airing out at an inch and a half, two inches, right? You're going to have some transitional issues. Do you have any play? Well, but then Jeremy Mahanko uh, steps in and I don't know where to get clay. Uh, don't worry, Jake. I, I got this. So one of them calls Casey. Casey, Jake needs a, a truck bed of clay or two. Can we come get some? Absolutely. Come on. Three keys are in the track. So now they're running to get clay to bring it back to work on the edges. It's just the, the, the reminder of how important these positive relationships are um, is it, it just it resonated the whole time and to the point that I, I knew how bad it hurt Matt to not be there with a rake or a tamp or a shovel helping. Um, but I never got the opportunity to really thank Matt as, as much as I should have. Um, but it, it, that also goes back to the, the first time Matt and I Matt, I think we were playing golf, and I said, you know, I, I saw you across the room. You're that arrogant guy. You, did, you didn't like me, Jake. Don't, don't paint a picture. You had, no, no, no. Yeah. I didn't like you. I didn't like looking at you. Didn't even know uh, me. Didn't, didn't like me. That's exactly, that is exactly the point. I didn't know you. But I did, uh, prior to even calling you, but it solidified everything that I should have known from the beginning that any one of you guys, and Robbie, I said this to you in a, in a meeting not long ago, I'll go to war with any one of y'all. And that's, that's probably the highest praise I can give to anybody is you know, if I'm to stand side by side with you and, and do it, um, but that, that to me is how strong our industry is. That was one of the coolest. I mean, it, it was, I know it was a hard time for you, Jake, but. Well, let, can, I, can I stop you, Matt? One, as, as outsiders, right? And I've never been able to really ask anybody this. As outsiders, we all looking at me going, what in the shit is this guy thinking? Was there, was there any, any bit of that? I wasn't because I looked at it from a standpoint of it, not on that level had I done try to do something. I, some people may say harebrained, but there there were times. I mean, there, the days, Jake, talking talking about how long we've been in this. There were the days that you know grasses like game on grass or plastic grass were not accessible. That was your only window of time back in the day to to do the type of work that you were doing. And there are countless times in my career that I've laid regular cut side late June or July around the all-star break. And to your point, on a sand-based profile, been able to, to push roots on it to, to be able to play on. And, you know, one thing leads to another, and, and you could go back and armchair quarterback it all day long. But I, I'll always remember that phone call from you and how, how much it, it – Hurt not to be able to be there in person. Uh, we we actually had a game here that night, but I remember Butter was driving through town. He stopped at my place, picked up some product. So maybe that was my contribution to it. But it it was really cool. The thing that was so cool was just the 
you know, we finished our game up and be able to pick up the phone. And by that point, it was daggone near midnight or whatever and pick up the phone and call you. And you could just see, you could see from the first conversations, the level of dejection from what was going on to that conversation later in the night, just the progression of positivity. And, you know, that was very shortly after I'd made the move to Charlotte. I hadn't been in this area very long. And it was just so awesome to see how everybody just kind of rallied in that deal and got things back to normal, so to speak. I, I struggle with how to describe that situation, but there have been a couple that have what I can describe, only describe as crushed. Um, the other one I, I probably won't tell, but it was baseball related, actually two others. But that one I had, I had all of the, the stake in. And, and looking back, the level of arrogance, and I'm not using that in a negative light at all, but the level of arrogance was, was very high to, to assume I could do that. But I was working off of past experience. Man, I can throw this down. I got I'm going to be a hero. So the, the failing aggressively, uh, like I said, it's not a, I don't think it's a negative. There's a negative connotation with it. But if you're not willing to do certain things, uh, I, I heard a song on the way in the work today. I'm a huge fan of music, more melody and harmony, not necessarily lyrically. Um, but it's a Chris Stapleton song starting over. Uh, Nobody wins afraid of losing. And it, it's it's very interesting how telling that lyric is. I think the best thing about that story, to me, the thing that sticks out is the fact that, hey, you make a mistake. It doesn't work out. All right, it's over. It's done with. We got to fix it. Let's move forward. And that's something that I try to stress with, with our staff here and even with other people's. It's like, forget about what happened. It happened. It's over. It's done with. We got to fix it and move forward. So how do we, let's, let's find solutions. And, uh, you know, you did that and. Yeah, you have to, you have to carry the same mindset into fixing it that you carried into doing it. Right. And so aggressive cost you. But aggressive got you out of it because if you just sat back and waited for another week, well, look at the loss that you get, right? You, you, the problem's not going to fix itself just by sitting back and waiting because if you sit back and wait, it's going to be somebody else's problem to fix. And that's the reality, you know? I mean, it, so I agree 100%, Clark. It's okay, we were aggressive, aggressive got us into this, but we got to be aggressive to get out of this. And what happened has happened. Now let's, let's make it happen to, to get it right. And I think that's the mindset that everybody went into it with at that point. And, and it, do, it doesn't mean that you, you can't revisit the front end, but you revisit it after it's over. You know, that's, that's the time you go back and say, okay, what steps led to this? and Maybe how can I avoid this again? And then you, and then you forget it. And then you, then you put it behind you. But, uh, well, I don't know if that one ever gets behind you too far. Well, <laughs> well but Jake, you've, you've obviously had time to go back and revisit. 
Oh, and it's still, it's, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it's, uh, I, I told Robbie not long ago as well, it, it's, it's not, Butter put together this thing of epic fails. I, that's not even a consideration of an epic fail because it wasn't fun. <laughs> it wasn't first base shifted out of the way or a foul line not painted correctly or a, uh, you know, logos being off or ghosty or what have you. This, it, it was, it turned very real, very quick, and there was a cost associated with it, which I, I had a lot of fun in Greensboro with, um, and I'm going to say this quietly, so hopefully not many people hear it, not that you can kind of mail it in when it becomes customary to be just a groundskeeper. I got this under control. I was getting a little more in-depth in the stadium aspect of it and the business aspect of it. So at that point, that financial decision, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars. That's, wait a minute, we, this, I'm going to spend what and how quick to make this happen? But you, you also take that risk-reward aspect of, of financial gain and loss. And if I don't spend this right now, I'm going to lose even more. So it goes back to throwing good money at a bad problem, but sometimes that's what you have to do. Uh, and I've, I've since then, Robbie, we also spoke about investing. I've, I, I felt kind of out of touch with uh, the world, and I'm not going to say politics. I'm still not much into politics, but what's going on out there? So fortunate enough to open, my wife and I opened an investment account, self-directed, you know, go out there and learn, you know, learn by losing sometimes, but you're also going to learn a lot by winning. And and that, that approach to getting out of my comfort level really helped me challenge myself mentally and you know i'm, I'm reading more i'm i'm uh checking out the news and uh futures here and there and you know trying to figure out what cryptocurrency is i still have no idea but man everyone loves it for some reason um but but that that financial lesson that i learned with that once again is it a mistake is it a failure is it a that that debacle that was 2017 in, in Greensboro, summer of 2017, really taught me a lot and opened my eyes financially into how quickly one decision can turn into some some bad ones quickly. That happened to me with a deck I put on my house, Jake. With a, a debt you put on your house? A deck. Oh, I, we okay, put a deck. screen and porch on my house. I think we've I think we've sat in nice. twice in three years. I had to look back at financial decisions. That probably wasn't. You, know. you wouldn't have done the deck. Well, I don't know. My wife definitely wouldn't have done the deck. You you would have done yeah, a bigger yeah. pizza oven, right? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, looking back on that, though, not to not to beat that horse, so to speak, but when when you had a chance to look back at it, I mean, have you attributed failure is a strong word, but the, what why it it, looking back on it, why you don't think you were successful with that endeavor? Do you, was it was it one thing that you could pinpoint? Do you think it was just being too aggressive? Do you think it was something cultural, environmental? Did think did the stars just not line up for you at the time? 
you know? I don't, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of, um, blame is not something I do, especially, especially if I have skin in the game. If I can, if I can look at a situation and, and kind of, uh, figure out where the fail point was because I I enjoy engineering as well, right? You you put zip ties in a windscreen on your fence because if it's going to fail, you want those zip tie to fail, right? You you have a, a break point, you have a point that that needs to be where it shears off. I can't. That's probably what's so bothersome about this one to me, and it still weighs heavy on on my heart. Is it wasn't the sod's fault. Uh, it wasn't the sod producer. It wasn't um, the the time. It wasn't. Uh, I didn't have barricade in the ground. I, it, you know, it wasn't like I had a layer of, of uh, uh, emergent herbicide that was keeping it from rooting. Nothing, nothing came out of it, um, and it. it I, I, maybe I rolled it too much. Can you, can you do such a thing? Maybe I was too firm underneath, and it and it you would still have that uh, sheet and layer with a million somethings coming out of it that are you have to attach them. I mean, that's, that's what's so bizarre about the whole thing to me, Matt. Is I can't. Uh, it, it'd be really easy to say, no, shitty sod, and and well, that was the problem. I I can't say that. I, I really can't put my finger on what happened that kept it from doing what it needed to do. Well, I definitely, I know it, I know it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) It made me decide that uh, any in-game side projects that we do or in-season side projects that we do from that day moving forward would, would be done with them. But that, that's the, that's the other part about it that I don't want I don't want the story to share the fact that you can't or you shouldn't or um, you can't resod unless you have two weeks worth of window yeah you you should you should Uh well well, hello Mr. Chris Ball how are you sir hey everybody I'm not going to call you butter Happy happy Monday Happy Monday. But we were just finishing up the story of uh, the debacle in Greensboro. And I probably I probably tore up the, the whole timing aspect of things because it was all such a blur. But uh, man, what a what a fun, tough and learning situation. Don't you think? Yeah, well, especially I had to just about beat you to go home that night. Well, that's the most important thing you needed was at least, you know, four or five hours of sleep. But, man, you know, in, in, in the reality sense of it, the, the way that a group of individuals came together to make that happen in such a hurry was incredible. I, in fact, I think I was with Matt. That uh, You stopped at my shop on the way to Greensboro to pick up, pick up fertility. Yeah. Yeah, the, the beautiful part about it, and, and the relationships that were not even solidified because they're already there. It was it was so encompassing. It, it wasn't just uh, three or four groundskeepers. It was 
I mean, it, it was, but you were selling at the point, Jeremy. I had competing salesmen helping me solve a situation. That well, part, the partners, they're, they're distributors of power. So. Partners. Um, yeah. But he that, that knew it, it wasn't about business at that point. It wasn't about friendship. It wasn't about um, the relationships that, that ours is 20 plus years, 25 years. Uh, it was about the right thing to do. Yeah, but you know, you know, you know how often that happens in in, in this industry. Though. I mean, like I look back to 2016 when we hosted that All Star game, and the people who came in, and and I had competitors working again. And you look at, you know, Butter, you can speak to it because you've been there before. But you look at the the ACC tournaments that guys go in and help with. You look at what goes on at the Little League World Series. You look at everybody has somebody that they answer to at the end of the day for a paycheck. But at the same time, I, I think it's just so unique how our industry, uh, maybe I'm making it too happy feel good here, but how, not that it's more important, or but it's just as important, the, the relationship that we all have together and stepping in to, you represent the name on your shirt, but at the same time, we all got to be, we all got to be on the up and up for it to work for any, any end of it. So I think that's just, I think it's a really cool thing about. Um, so I, I've been working on something uh, psychologically for uh, a while now, not that I'm getting ready to have an epiphany or anything, but I think all of the successful groundskeepers in our industry have a couple, um, maybe five or six personality traits that are very similar. It, we're, we're not necessarily more intelligent than anybody else. Um, we are passionate. We do love what we do. We have addictive personalities and that addiction can show up in many, many uh, avenues. Uh, some of them maybe in the evening, but Majority of them are uh, aesthetics, um, making sure things are right, making sure we take care of ourselves as well as our our peers and friends. Uh, but at the core of everything, to me, is the ability to problem solve. I mentioned earlier that I may never become a brain surgeon, and I, I'll never try because that's a tough one. I like that commercial when one doctor is looking up Expedia or something while he's doing brain surgery, but the 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 ability the ability to identify a problem, come up with a solution, and then apply it, and then conversely on the backside, figuring out was that good or how how could it, we we do all of those things in an instant, and that's that's what's fun to me. Um, I, I do want to ask y'all though, I have a routine in the morning. Just, just to be blunt, I wake up, I go brush my teeth, I take, I go to the restroom while I'm brushing my teeth because I, I like efficiencies. Sorry if that's gross, but I'll take my Zyrtec. I kiss my wife goodbye and tell her I love her and tell her to have a good day. Same thing every day. Uh, I go downstairs, I make my girls lunch, I get in the car, I show up at the same time every day. The reason, and I've, I've been told that I don't like change, but the reason that I give for that is if I don't have that kind of structure, when I am hit with an outside influence or a problem, 
I can, if I have that structure and I'm going about my day like I am used to, I can deal with that outside, uh, whether it's noise, problem, discussion, whatever it is, I can deal with that so much easier because my other stuff is done. If I forget to put my watch on, I, I hate to say my day's ruined, but I, I look for it three or four times a day. I'm like, eh, yeah, I forgot, forgot something today. I need to get better at that. Do y'all do y'all do do y'all have any of those tendencies? Not with a fifteen week old anymore. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's a a great point to to wrap up on. So, we want to thank you, Jake. Uh, thank you, Chris. That was a surprise to jump you up. That was not planned. Thank you guys very much. Uh, and anytime you want more of a conversation, bring it on. See you guys. Uh, Thanks, Jake. Enjoy it, bud. We'll catch y'all next time.